On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got to have the CEO of Via Customers, Tejas Conduro, on the podcast. Awesome conversation that we had all around valuations in the space right now. What's going to happen in the next year and a half? We looked into our crystal ball. And guys, we have basically all of the answers for you as we teeter on the brink of another recession right now. The good news is everything's going to be okay if you are a brand. And we talked all about that. Guys, you are not going to want to miss this episode. If you are a mid seven figure brand and above, listen up. Are you struggling with ads this year? Uh, how about growth in general? What about profitability? supply chain issues got you down, you are not alone. As a brand owner myself, I totally get this. iOS 14 has ravaged many smaller brands. The good news, our clients at Upgrowth and the brands that we own have not been touched. Don't get me wrong. We had to fight to figure out how to advertise effectively in a post-surveillance ad world. But we learned some incredible lessons along the way. And we want to share some of those lessons with you. So go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow to apply for a free growth plan today so we can show you what is working in a post iOS 14.5 world. Again, that is www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Today, I am super excited uh, to be joined by Tejas Kunduru from Via. Tejas, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Appreciate it, Jordan. We're uh, excited to be on here. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who know nothing about you or nothing about Via, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you guys do. Yeah. So I'm the co-founder and CEO here. We started called three and a half years ago. Founder way in e-commerce, I had called a little over two years ago. And V is a mobile marketing and mobile commerce platform. So the goal for us is help brands with owned audience lists. Um, so how do you build and effectively market and communicate on SMS, on push, in-app chat, and give all the tooling behind it to you know what we call is drive a lot of revenue through ROI and then also start to drive some GMV on those channels. Cool, cool. Where did this journey come from that you guys ended up in the e-com space? Did, did you just happen upon it? Was it because it was so hot at the time? Where where did you guys make that transition? Yeah, one, I think credit to my co-founder for Instagram DMing or like our biggest customer today, Diesel Power Gear, and then getting that. But I think we, we were always in and around e-commerce. I think we, like most people, I don't think we focused in one specific vertical. So sold like the first year and a half, I said we sold 60 different types of businesses. We sold like home security companies on enterprise, pest control, daycares, dentists, e-commerce. And I think it wasn't until we saw how powerful Via was for e-commerce that we said, this is where we want to be. And I think that the backstory there for, for me was growing up, my parents owned a bunch of restaurants. And I would always help them with bookkeeping. I, I did my first and only job before VIA was, was working on Wall Street. It's always loved finance. And as I helped them do the books, uh, Square was their point of sale system across all yeah. five restaurants. And it was interesting. And it's all in San Francisco. So starting in 2016, 2017, as I helped them with like books, I noticed that only 45% of revenue was, was inside of Square. And it turns out everything else was mobile. It was almost like within a quarter. It was DoorDash, Uber Eats, Caviar, Postmates, Grubhub. And San Francisco was ground zero. But the initial genesis for VIA was, you know, I didn't know you could build a restaurant with a dining room. And the, the idea 
idea was, I wonder if 10 to 20 years from now, there's millions of businesses that are just mobile first. No physical storefront, no real website, but you just find and interact in a mobile native way, which is you know calling, texting, or using a mobile app. Cool. That's awesome. So I want to talk to you about, you know, people have heard on this podcast, we've had the uh, founder of Postscript on, we have had one of the C-level guys at Tentive on, and now we have you. I'd love to hear, because people are always looking for the, the best possible mobile first solution as a tool, SMS, what be, be that SMS or push notifications or whatever that is. Talk to me about where you guys differ and where you guys kind of fit in the marketplace. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty, I think there's a lot with other mobile channels. So we'll see a lot of customers try to do Instagram Messenger push notifications and SMS. And in reality, they might send a message through attentive to SMS, a message through Tapcar on push to the same person. And they might use maybe Reamaze or something like that to, to reach out to them on Instagram Messenger. But in reality, you just contact the same person three different times on three different channels. So the idea for us is all of mobile living together is the best experience. So mm. one, I think it's a more mobile holistic view that are all of our big customers use us for. And I think second is I think, you know, Postscript and there, there's a lot of stuff, I think, like really great tools, but I think there's an element of this where there's self-service and they're, you know, I think it's great for, for, for a certain type of business, but once you cross 10, 20, 30 million in GMV, there's a different side of tooling that's not self-service that you'll need. And I look at Attentive and Attentive has done great, right? It wins a lot on integration, wins a lot on a lot of other things, but what you build for Sephora is very different for what you build for like, we work with the Utah Jazz, right? The Utah Jazz don't have a customer data platform or CDP. They don't really have a strong Zendesk instance. Mm. So for them, we have to build a CDP, a customer data platform inside of VIA to become that for the Utah Jazz, right? So for us, our sweet spot is middle market e-commerce brands. So $1 million to $10 million a month in revenue. So call it 12 to $120 million. And I think, yeah. you know, Pensive is probably much higher. Postscript is a little bit lower than that. So I think we found our sweet spot with the most demanding customer, but we think is, is the most rewarding customer to serve. Uh, interesting. Interesting. So let's talk through some tactics here and what's working. I love getting into strategy and tactics. You know, tactics come and go, but it's always really interesting to see like, hey, what is working right now? You know, we're talking in mid-June of 2022. It's been a pretty difficult year for a lot of e-com brands out there. What seems to be working for the brands that you guys are working with to continue to drive incremental growth? Yeah, I think one thing we've noticed is there's an element of this where if the average order value is less than 50 for those brands that we've been watching, especially if there's not a it's a newer brand. There's not a higher, there's not indicators of a brand like a strong following or a big repeat customer base. I think that's a really tough spot to be. I think it's really, really difficult if your AOV is less than 50 and you're very new in market or most of Mm. your revenue, like new customers, right? So one thing we've noticed, at least for us, is most of the brands that we work with, given their middle market, they're two, three years old before they cross the 12 million GMV mark. They've been generally pretty, I think they're maybe slightly worse or on track to match 2021 from like a top line perspective. Uh, like something like the Utah Jazz, Diesel Power Gear, like pretty big brands did 10s, 20s, $30 million last year. So one I think is a lot of the strategy for them is we've re- we've seen with a couple of customers where Facebook was the biggest monthly spend. And now it's actually turned into like Via and investing into like whether it's a mobile app with push and app, SMS, whatever the channels we support are. Um, but we've seen a lot of brands start to reallocate budget towards uh, spending more money and more time inside of Via versus like Facebook or, the, or other channels. Interesting, interesting. Let's take a, a bit of a pivot here. You know, you guys are in still still in startup land and I'm sure, you know, 
going through what we're going through, you know, mid June right now. How has that been working with your VCs and funding and all of that? I, the reason I ask is I think a lot of people listening to this have probably raised money or, or are going to continue to raise money on the e-com side, which is which inherently is a lot more difficult, right? <laughs> Most e-com businesses are not necessarily venture qualified businesses, but they still need to raise money at the same time. How how is that environment been right now for you as the CEO? Yeah, I think luckily we we raised like a like an undisclosed Series B Q three last year. So I think if we didn't do that, maybe I'd be much more stressed. But I think it was a very different market back then. I've seen it in kind of three different ways, and it's kind of like where do you want to get to? I think the only companies that will survive called the next year and a half is one is I think I call it you have to you have to can you see a path to profitability and you control your own destiny so you make money. Second, I think is your cash flow positive. So it could be you sell all your inventory, but you deliver it three months later. But now you have cash and you have cash flow, right? Because you have Pay yeah. for your inventory. Third, for us, is like collecting cash up front on contracts. And third, I think, is like becoming default, like investable. It's like watching like burn rates, not growing at all costs, gross margin, CAC, LTV. And those are all now like everybody wants to invest into an enduring business that can raise money again. So I always say you have to be one of the three. So for us, we're, we're pretty close. I think we are the default investable. So our burn rates, like every every metric, we're trying to get to default cash flow positive by the end of the year. Cool. But I would say for most founders, if you can't get to one of the three, it's going to be a very, very tough market to raise in. That was that was awesome and great to hear. And and you know, for you guys that are looking at raising uh, right now, it, it's not impossible. There's still lots of money out there, absolutely. And we're actually one of the brands that we own. We're doing. I'm sorry. We're actually doing raises all, all across right now to prepare for this next year, right? This next year, year and a half, I think that it's the time to be really financially prepared. Let's chat about uh, the brands that you see winning versus the ones that you don't right now. So we went, we talked about average order value. What else are you seeing out there in the brands that are going to survive this you know, impending, whatever it is, smaller recession, maybe big? What are you seeing the difference between those brands? Yeah, the, the, the biggest one I would say, maybe this is not the most sophisticated answer, is the ones that are actually a brand. I think there's a big difference, right? There's people who mask as a brand and sell things that maybe aren't the highest quality product. It's all just a volume game and a, and a new customer acquisition play. But there's a lot of people who have intrinsic brand loyalty, repeat customer rates. And via, if you think about our suite with who would download a mobile app for one of our brands, like you would need to have a cohort of really good customers who love that brand, right? And so I think for us, when we look at our customer base, we see the ones that are really healthy, that the repeat customer rates are really high, the return rates are high, return rates are usually pretty low. But the ones I think we get the most concerned for the ones where they were just it was it was just spending tons of money on Facebook wasn't really worried about the brand quality but it was all selling you know like I joke like fidget spinners or reusable laundry bags yeah. whatever they yeah. might be but for the most part given the size of merchants we work with I think as long as they have like leading indicators of a strong brand and they've invested a lot into it I they'll more than get through this I think the ones who'll struggle are the ones who've never taken the LTV side seriously or you know, building a social media following and things like that absolutely and that, and that's exactly what we're seeing especially on the uh on the hiring side right now, it's incredible. You know, people say that there's that there's not good candidates out there. And there's actually so many good candidates because of this massive drop-off of pseudo brands, right? There's all of these people out there that were kind of doing the drop shipping slash brand thing, and it just it's not working anymore. There's just no way that you can get the kind of CAC that you could before. Let's chat a little bit about this intersection between SMS and mobile app and all of these mobile first experiences. Why are we like, you know, is this going to be the 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 future still? You know, are people still going to be spending, you know, 50 hours a day on their phones? 
Yeah, that's a great point. I One is I, I, I think so in 10 years. I, I think it's a very hard computing platform to get rid of. I think you can add a lot of things like AR and VR glasses to a phone that because re- you need a really strong like, like either an Apple M1 chip or something that powers it. But I think for us, what's really interesting is if you look at even Shopify's growth story or how dude, still e-commerce is a massive market that's still very, you know, very small penetration, right, for overall retail. I think in Shopify, when I went to Wall Street, I got to work and cover Shopify as one of the, the companies I got to cover as an investment cool. banker. Yeah. And you, I think in 2015, when they IPO, they were $100 million in revenue. Now they're a $5 billion like annual recurring revenue business. And you think about it, started in 2007, it was $30 million in 2012. And in 2012, Bezos was a billionaire. Walmart.com was there. Tyler Bonobos, Warby Parker, so many people were already born and doing really well. And it, was, but it was still kind of a crazy idea. Like I didn't know you could build something like direct to consumer without a store. And I think about the world we're in today where it's almost, it was, it was similar, right? It was 10, 12 years into mass adoption of like the website, the browser, people having laptops, you know, accessing on their phones. And, you know, I think the iPhone came out like what, 2007, 8, 9, and took a while to get popular. Android came out, came out soon after. And at least for us, I think we see the same thing where it's been like Called ten years since like mass adoption of the smartphone, but still, it's it's almost like we're using a way that like a website and a browser were invented for humans to interact with the internet on a laptop or a desktop, but a mm. phone is calling, texting, or using an app. So we see the same parallels between what how long it took Shopify and for brands to be like, oh, I have to be website first. I can build a completely a business just on a website. Uh, but I think the same thing is going to happen here for us, where mobile is finally caught up. Where I think in other markets like like India and China with WeChat and WhatsApp and how people are only built on WeChat and buying everything and interacting with businesses. I think that's like T-Man is five years in North America where I think the number one storefront for brands won't be their website or their physical store. I think it'll be mobile. Mobile is interesting, right? It could be buying on SMS, Instagram shop, Instagram messenger, mobile app. But I think all of mobile combined will, will be over 50% of, of GMV. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Yeah, it's a great point. I feel like it, when you're scaling, I feel like all you see is all the things you did wrong. <laughs> Hopefully, so it's a, it's a hard one. I would think for us, the secret to scaling has always been, I think, hiring the right people. And I, I say it's pretty simple. I think it's, I say it for lack of a maybe a better sentence, but like hiring people who give a shit, which means they'll work hard and they'll try. Yeah. But for us, I think that's where we've been able to be the most successful is people who just care. Like they care about their craft. They want to do a good job. They want they, well, if they sign up for something or their name's attached, unless you know, they'll give a shit, right? So I think for us, it's, it's just all people. Like you realize a company's nothing more than a bunch of people. And I'm sure that Jordan, you've seen this, but at, like at 150 people now, like there's only so much I can do, right? Like I can't really code everything. I can't really interview every customer, do every sales call. So it just comes down to like the culture and the people that you bring that morph into that culture. Cool, cool. I'm interested from from your seat as as CEO, um, and this is uh, you know selfishly for all the other uh, e-com store owners out there who are starting to scale up to this sort of level. Maybe maybe not at that 150 employee level. What do your reports look like? What does that structure look like for you as you've scaled to this kind of level? Yeah, the stru- it's a little bit challenging because I think it, I have like 15 direct reports now, which is not the way to do it. That we can all agree that that is too many direct reports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, way too many. <laughs> I've actually, the one thing that's given me the most kind of freedom, I think, is it's very surprising because I did, I never imagined this, but we have probably, I think we have an incredible VP of finance and working with him and setting guardrails around the business has been the most kind of liberating thing because you never worry mm. about spending outside your budget, what the numbers look like, what are the metrics, what's like the BI tool saying, right? And if you have a strong finance team, like a business talks in numbers and you're never worried about it. You're never worried about people outspending because you have a finance team. But if you do it the right way, they empower everybody to just operate within the guardrails and they go full speed. So for us, it's liberating for me because I don't have to worry about 
about much because I know we're spending what we should be spending relative to growth at all times. I think second that's been really good for us has been like an operating cadence. So I call it almost like we all have a daily schedule or a weekly schedule, but what's your business's daily and weekly schedule, right? Like how do you measure, mm-hmm. how do you measure if I'm on track at the gym, like writing it down, if I'm eating the right way, if I'm like hanging out with friends twice a week and catching up with one person I want to, right? But it's, it's the same exact concept, but instead of like your own weekly rhythm or you know daily rhythm, how do you run a business on that type of rhythm? So for us, I've spent a lot of time with you know getting advice from people and then iterating ourselves, but what's the operating cadence of VIA? Like what are the metrics on a Monday that we track strategic projects, reports? It could seem really nuanced, but like in the early days, you don't need it. But at this stage, it's like the only way to create accountability and transparency is, is by having an operating cadence that everybody knows they operate in. Mm, that's great stuff. Still 15 is too many. <laughs> Uh, I'm hoping it's five here, like in like six months. So just consult. Yeah. Yeah. Of the the three major business units that we run, I have three direct reports and that's it. I I just, I can't even manage more people than that. Jordan, literally three is the number I, in two and a half years, three is all I wanted. That's it. So we're we're pretty aligned. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. That's great. I got three more questions for you here. I was trying to figure out in my head. I'm like, wait, where, where are we at in this interview? I got three more uh, very important questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. First question, favorite tool or app that you are currently using? That's a great question. I'm trying to think what would be my favorite tool or app. I would say Superhuman is my email client since I started Via. Mm, yes. But I love it. It loads fast. I'm like, a because I did investment banking, we had to learn all the shortcuts for Excel, PowerPoint, Word, right? Like press the alt button, all these things. Never touch a mouse. Superhuman is the only thing that lets me be really fast without ever touching a mouse. And it's got like email tracking, right? Like a bunch of stuff built in. But for me, that's, that's probably been my, my favorite tool by, by far. And it loads really fast, which is, which is huge. Sweet. That's great. And guys, remember, we put all of these recommendations in the show notes. So make sure that you check that out. Second question for you, favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Oh, that's great. I think favorite podcast would probably be, I, I've listened to this for years now, is like How I Built This by Guy Raz on, on NPR. But I think it's just an incredible show on like, I'm sure Jordan, it seems like you listen to it too. But just like Founder Empathy, right? The Bonobos episode, Peloton episode. So many good episodes in there of just like, like you realize how close success and failure are are in life, so, like week, week like, right? Like serendipity, yeah, exactly. It's like, like, who would have thought that Greg would get our biggest customer through a DM, right? And be like, fuck it, let's do e-commerce. So that's like, yeah. this is, right? Instead of focusing on everything. So it, there's so much of that. And even how I met my co-founder, right? Like I, I was, he was at a different school in Utah and one of his good friends was like, hey, come on a ski trip with me and my friend. And I almost didn't show up. And I, I probably would have never met Greg, right? And so yeah, I, I think it's how I built this because you realize like all of life are these like micro, like, oh, like the decisions that make a big, big impact. Oh, totally. I mean, it, even I, whenever I think about how I built this, I think of Phil Knight's book, right? And just being like, oh my gosh, how many times did they almost got, go bankrupt? How many times did he almost get arrested for, for them thinking he was running some kind of Ponzi scheme with Nike? Like, it's crazy to think the razor's edge that so many companies, and this is, this is pre-VCs and all of this kind of stuff back then, right? I love hearing those stories of being like, oh, wow, we actually have it so easy right now. Yeah, Jordan, even that book, it's great. Like, I, I, when I was reading it, I remember being like, he's talking like they're going to go out of business tomorrow, but like Nike's a $10 billion a year brand now. Like the whole book, he's always talking about like living on the edge and you realize like he's got a thousand employees at this point. He's still talking about it like he's going to die tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the crazy thing is, is that so many people are in that similar kind of situation where it's like on the outside, everything looks so good. You're like, wow, this company's growing. This is massive. And then really at the CEO spot, you're like, yes, yeah, yeah. but... We'll see what happens tomorrow. (laughs) 
you know, like, yes, our leading indicators all look great, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. Before I ask the last question, I'm going to, I'm going to throw an extra one in here. Yeah. You know, seeing as we're, this is going to probably come out in a couple of weeks, we're sort of tipping somewhere in recession territory right now. What happens? What does the next year and a half look like to you? Yeah. And whether we like it or not, I think like later stage, so I think of like the Olipops of the world, right? As they're scaling past like a hundred million in revenue, right? Whatever it might be, or like I think Magic Spoon just hit a big round. But I think of yeah. all of those brands and I think there's two things that are, I think I get a little bit worried about as a business center for us and for any type of like SaaS or e-com, right? But one is I think interest rates are going to go up pretty drastically. So whether it's like putting things on a credit card, inventory financing, supply chain financing, I think those days of 0% interest are gone, which is for a lot of brands like debt. It's a really good way to grow, right? If you don't want to take venture money. Totally. So I think that's also a little bit, I think a little bit troubling with how high interest rate interest rates might go. And I think probably two is I think because you we've seen a lot of contraction, like where Shopify was almost was basically 200 billion market cap and is now like 30 today, right? Like 30, 32 billion. Oh, oh, I, I know that very well from my stock portfolio. Uh, I bought all my stocks <laughs> last November. I had like, I, I don't know why I did that, but yeah, I'm down a lot now. So <laughs> But it's crazy because now it's like when you go raise those rounds, it's like, hey, you're, if Via wants to be X of whatever, or like HubSpot, what HubSpot is the SaaS marketing Via wants to be for mobile, for e-commerce. If I say that, I'm like, what's HubSpot trading at now? It's like 10 times forward revenue. It's like, ah, shit. And it's, it's crazy to me because I, I look at the valuation some of these private companies have and you look at like, there's a company in Utah here called Weave Dental, like you know, Tiger did the last round. It went public last year, $125 million of ARR, 90 million of cash on the balance sheet and 250 million market cap with no debt. And like, why would you not buy all of that company versus like invest into a growth stage company, right? Yeah, very good, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard too, because I think a lot of these funds, like there's so many better opportunities to buy now that are not like VC back companies because there's a the multiples aren't there. And then the, now it's every like Shopify looks like a really good buy at 10 times revenue, right? It's like, ah, oh, this is this seems good. Totally. I mean, Shopify is a great buy right now. Like yeah. I'm, I'm 100% going to double down because we just know that this is the this is the time to do it, right? Uh, 100%. At this stage. Where do you think, sorry, this is just another little yeah. rabbit trail here. Where do you think seed valuations are going to be in the next little while in the e-com space? Yeah, I think, so I think the beautiful thing is I think seed has always been the one that's more like you're like a dreamers. Like, you know, no, no, no you mm-hmm. might build a company, you might try something else. So I've, I think seed rounds will be, I don't think we'll do like 100 million post seed rounds anymore. But I think for the most part, I think seed will be the one market where if you dream big and you have the credentials, like if you went to go out to raise for a brand, like given what you've done, you would easily do it, right? People believe that you'll yeah. get it done. So I think for the right, I think for a lot of operators and people like you, and, and I think seed will be fine. I think you'll still get good valuations. I don't think it'll be absurd like last year, but it's all about, it's all future weighted. I always say valuation is like, valuation is everything you're going to do in the future discounted by how much risk that, like someone sees in you. So it's, 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 so everybody grows into their valuation, right? There's a, it's not like, there's no such thing as a fair valuation. It's just, you grow into it, right? So the crazy thing is I think seed will be fine because I think people can grow into a seed valuation. But I think series A, B, C, D, E, and especially like I think C, B, D, like up, up there, I think it's going to be, yeah, I think the, all of this is going to be tough. So for us, as we think about a series C, it's like, ah, fuck, the bar is much higher now. So it's like, yeah. you got to be a little bit more careful. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for getting into the, this nitty gritty here with me on the on these kind of topics here. This is stuff we don't talk about a lot, but I feel like, you know, for the, the thousands of people that listen to this podcast, the majority of these people that are listening are sort of, you know, mid seven figure and above owners, right? Owners, CMOs, those those kinds of people. And these are the thoughts, guys, that we're all having right now, right? It's like, make sure you've got enough cash in the bank to withstand either a flat or maybe even a little negative year, right? It could potentially happen or you're going to be having to spend double on your marketing to maintain, right? So there, there's some some trade-off happening right now. Do I think this is going to be like this forever? Absolutely not. This is a blip. We pumped the economy full of so much fake money that this is a very healthy, healthy thing. This is a diet right now, right? <laughs> and Jordan, I was going to say too, I, there's the How I Built This Podcast with Andy Dunn of Bonobos. I recently read the book he published too called Burn Rate. And what's crazy about Bonobos, it was started in 2008. It went from two to four to eight to 16 through the depths, right? Of like the worst recession mm. in a while. So I, and Warby Parker, Allbirds, like all of these brands, Harry's were started in 08, 09, and 10. So I think if anything, like the right direct to consumer that's focused on brand and like a quality product, like I, they got funded all throughout the recession, right? Last time. And they're now big businesses. So I think, especially in e-commerce, I think there's, it's like, and you look at, if you hear Shopify is how I built this episode, they really took off in 2008. So I think the special part about e-commerce is, yeah, I think the, if you're, if you're trying to drop ship something from China, for sure, it might not be the best time to do it. But if you're trying to build a quality product, it lasts in 08, some of the most iconic DC companies were born. Cool. Cool. That's great. I do have one last question for you. If you could sit down with anybody, you get an hour with them. They have to be alive. You can have coffee, tea, beer, wine, whatever you like, whiskey. Can't be Elon. Who would it be? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's probably a default one for a lot of people, including myself. So I think I'm trying to think who I would do it with. I, my Mine would be Frank Slootman. Oh, who's that? He's the CEO of Snowflake. So he joined Snowflake at Series B and took that company to a $100 billion IPO eight years later from like a Series wow. B, right? Like very small. Before that, joined ServiceNow. Could never raise any money at $50 million in revenue. And ServiceNow is massive now. Um, so he's built kind of, I call like, and then before that, CEO of Data Domain. He's always joined early ish, right? Like sub 50 million revenue always. And he took all of these companies that are now iconic, like, you know, last year, hundred billion dollar like companies, like the market cap companies. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he recently had a book. We made everybody at Via read it this year called Amp It Up, but I would, I would love to sit down with him. Just an incredible like SaaS CEO. Cool. Cool. That's great. Well, guys, like I said before, we're going to put all of that into the show notes. Man, what an awesome conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and more about Via? Yeah, I think Vias is just uh, it's for, for us. Our website's viacustomers.com. and if you click about me, you'll you'll find my contact info. So that's the easiest way. Cool. You active on LinkedIn too? Yeah, super active on LinkedIn. So please add me there. Not very active on Twitter. I'm trying to be so, but for sure on LinkedIn. Sounds great. I don't even think that you and I are connected yet on LinkedIn. So I will make sure that uh, that we get connected because uh, you have not been showing up in my feed. So okay, hopefully soon. Let's do it. Well, thanks again so much for your time. Okay. Thanks, Jordan. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co apply 
and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.